Well, a few weeks ago, we began with the letter A, and A stands for? Good, good, we have one. Affirmation, affirmation. Then we move to the letter B, and the letter B stands for? Okay, you're picking up. Now, today, we're going to the letter C, and it stands for? Communication. If you, if you have trouble, you can go into your bulletin. We have the notes for today's message there. And you know that communication, it's an interesting thing. It's very important, but it's also so complicated. Communication is so complicated that experts have trouble with it. I found a couple of headlines from newspapers, and you figure that newspapers are written by professionals. One of them said, red tape holds up bridge. That has got to be song strong tape. Another one says, gorillas of Uganda lecture at Museum of Natural History. Those got to be some very smart primates. But communication not only is difficult in, 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 in newspapers and, and, uh, and life, but also in church. Some of the greatest lines are found in church bulletins. Not from our church. We are very good at it. But uh, in another church bulletin, we found this message, this announcement saying, for those who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. <laughs> I don't know if you come to church and you don't know if you have children or not. But this is my favorite. Ladies, don't forget the rummage cell. It is a great opportunity to get rid of anything not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. I believe that communication is so important that the result of, of, of how we communicate in the home determines the depth of our relationships. Communication is also troublesome in business. And there is a man, his name is Peter Drucker, and he is one of those experts in communication in business relationships. And he wrote, 60% of all ma managerial problems in America, corporations, are the result of deficient communication. How much? 60%. And these are professionals. These are people who do this for a living. Can you imagine what happened when we try to communicate and those of us who don't communicate for a living? Stanford University had a study done a few years back, and it was on the importance of communication. And it said that one of the founders is that people need to hear something seven times before forming an opinion. Seven times we need to hear something. Maybe that's why when I ask you what the A stands for, you still don't know what it stands for. Because we have to hear it seven times. By the way, you can watch our messages online and also on our podcast, on our website. So don't excuse, seven times. Another founding is that, is that uh, people need to hear something seven more times to internalize it. It's interesting that when we hear something like, like a sermon... In the next 12 hours, we already forgot 90% of what we heard. That's why it is so important, family, that we try to include as many senses as possible when we talk about the Word of God. That's why we not only hear it, but we try to show it to you. And not only that, if you take your notes out and you bring a pencil or a pen, you can write it down so you involve another sense. And that way you can share it and you are actually learning double. Because when we teach, we learn the most. Another of their found, foundings is that people need to hear a truth 
11 times in order to change a false idea. 11 times. So when you teach that Bible study, when you share that truth, when, do, when you share your experience with somebody and they don't get it right away, don't give up. Keep trying. They'll get it eventually. Our words are so important that they echo into eternity. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37. This is in, these are in your notes. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account of every careless word they speak. Whew. Verse 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now this is a heavy text. In those few words, it tells us a lot. We'll be responsible for every word that we say. But it says here, it gives an adjective, careless. Those, those words that, that, that we say without thinking. Because you know why? The words that we say reflect, reflect the state of our heart. I think of words as an x-ray of our soul. The words we use, how we use them, are basically saying how our heart is. So oftentimes when, when, when we say something and somebody gets upset, they get, they get uh, uh, ruffled, they get angry. Our reaction is, oh, but, but I don't mean it. I was just kidding. Can you take a joke? In reality, if we said them, if they came through our mind and through our mouth, we meant them. Because that is what our soul is thinking. That is who we are. But the way, the reason why God cares about what we say is because the most important thing for God is that our heart is in tune with His. So in communication, there are some facts that I want to share with you. And the first fact about communication is that communication is powerful. We tend to under, underestimate the power of our words. We don't think that they mean a lot. We don't think that, that they matter much. But as we'll discover this morning, every word that we say has power. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. And those who love it will eat its fruits. So in other words, our words have power to grow beautiful, sweet results but also have power to turn the sweetest relationship into a sour one. Because our words have the power to give life or to kill. And I think that at this point, those of us who've been on this planet for a few years, we understand, because we've seen it, we've done it, we've been there, how our words have brought a smile on somebody's face, 
or pain. Because communication is powerful. But have you noticed that a closed mouth gathers no feet? And oftentimes we think that if we don't say anything, we'll be better off. But the truth is that silence is just as bad. Uh, I, I've heard the story of this, this man who decided to join a, a, a monastery. And in this monastery, they had a vow of silence. And they were allowed to speak every seven years only two words. So at the end of the first seven, seven years, he stands before the director of the monastery and he says, bad food. And he goes back into his room. <laughs> seven years later, he comes back in front of the, of the director and uh, his two words were, hard bed. Another seven years passed and when it was his turn to speak again, he goes in front of the director and he says, I quit. The director answered to him, well, I might as well because all of you don't since you came here is complain. <laughs> oftentimes we think that if we keep quiet, if we don't say the things, things will be better. But silence oftentimes is just as bad as saying the bad things. Because silence does not promote communication. In fact, when we think that we're smart and we're we say, I'm going to give them the eyes treatment... What I'm saying is I'm going to prevent any kind of communication to fix our issues. And what happens is that that silence period gets longer and longer and longer and longer until no communication can be restored and our relationship is broken. So what can we do? Words are fuel for our relationship or fuel for a fire to burn it. So the first fact is that communication is what? powerful. Okay, three of you are awake. That's good. It's better than last time. Now, the second fact that I want to share with you, and this is going to be very interesting, is that communication is problematic. And there are two reasons why communication is problematic. The first one is that all of us, all of us, we have an evil streak. There's something, something evil in our hearts when we communicate. We like to win the war of words. We want to beat the argument. We want to, to prove them wrong. We want to show them that I know what I'm talking about. Because of our competitiveness and, for, and because of our desire to show that I'm right. We use words in a way that destroys communication, the relationship, and all we do is destroy it. James 4.2 says, you desire and you do not have, so you mur murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. But look at the middle of the text. So you fight and quarrel. It is at moments of pressure when our true self comes out in communication. How we respond in a crucial moment is truly how we respond as a person who we are. Just like the moment when somebody cuts you off in the freeway. We're showing who we truly are. Because we don't like to lose. 
a while ago, there was a, a boxing fight. Joe Fraser against Muhammad Ali. In our days, it could have been like the fight that just took place a couple of weeks ago. You know which one I'm talking about? I know you know. And what happened was that Muhammad Ali had this ability to say things in a, in a colorful manner. He used all kinds of, uh, of, of uh, analogies to, to say who he was. And before the fight, he said in an interview, there seems to be a confusion. We are going to clear this confusion on March 8. We are going to decide once and for all who is the king. There is no man alive who can whip me, and he jabbed with his right. I'm too, I'm too smart, and he pointed to his head. I'm too pretty, and he notched his chin. I'm the greatest. I'm the king. I should be put on a post stamp because that's the only way that I can get licked. But if you know what, the, what happened on the fight... Muhammad Ali lost the fight to Fraser. He had the words, but he couldn't back him up. That is exactly the point that James is trying to make. Because of our evil streak, we worry about winning, not the meaning of our words. And because we worry about winning, we don't worry about what anybody else is going through. We don't worry about them. We don't care about them. All we care is about number one because of our evil streak. And therefore, we fall. In fact, I want to show you a couple of texts that you don't have on your notes, but I want to see them on the screen because they're so important. James 3.6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Let me backtrack a little and explain a couple of things here. If you notice there, it says, the tongue is a fire. If you pay attention to the grammar of this sentence, it's in present tense. And the present tense in Greek, it's something that is continuous. So basically, every time that we open our mouth, we are handling a match and fuel. We are ready to set up. Things on fire. And then he says, the tongue is set among, I mean, it's a world of unrighteousness. Everything, everything that is bad in this world began with words. If you read the story on Genesis 3, Everything began with words. Whatever is happening in North Korea and the rest of the world, everything begins with words. Whatever happens in the Middle East, everything begins with words. Whatever happens in your home, everything that is bad begins with words. Because words are like a fire in a world of unrighteousness. And then it says, staining the whole body. Picture of, picture of fire, please. Like a, couple, a few weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago that we went to the, to the beach for the Vespers. Remember that? 
And, and as we were there, you know, there was a fire right in the middle, and, and, and they were cooking potatoes and corn and marshmallows and all kinds of things. And there was a time when I was standing by the fire talking with people. When I sat in my car, my clothes smelled like smoke. When mom, mom and dad quarrel in the house and they fight, the smell travels in the house and stains everything around. The kids get the smell. So if it happens that your character is about setting fire with everything you say everywhere you go, it's not only you and the people you talk to, but there's going to be other people. There's going to be other environments who are going to be affected. Or perhaps you have been affected because of the environment that you have been in because of words. This is another text, James 3.8. It's right there on the screen. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of daily poison. Now this restless evil in the Greek gives the picture of an animal in a cage that just going around in circles in the cage waiting for the moment that is set free and goes to devour something. That is the tongue. It's waiting for the moment because of our evil streak that all of us have. The tongue is just waiting for the moment to come out. Now, notice that it says, like daily poison. One of my favorite TV shows was The Crocodile Hunter. You remember The Crocodile Hunter? I, I mean, this guy was amazing. It was amazing. It was our favorite. Every day we watched it when my kids were little. Because he would be walking in the bush, and there there was a snake, and he would jump on it, and he would grab it and say, this is the most poisonous snake. Imagine that I'm saying it with Alan's accent. And, and, and he would look at the snake and put it right next to his face. But there was one show. This, this was my favorite. He is in Africa. And, and there's a snake on the ground. And he sees it. And he says, this is a spitting cobra. And he puts his glasses on, his sunglasses. And as he's wearing his glasses, he says, you know, if this snake spits his venom and, and he hits my eyes, I will go blind. And he approaches the snake, and the snake spits the venom and hits him like right in the glasses. And he goes, oh, man, Crocky, she's good, a good one. <laughs> I wouldn't trust my eyesight to my Ray-Bans. And this is what happens. This is what James is trying to tell us, family. If our tongue... It's as venomous as James says it is. Why do we expose ourselves to it or our loved ones? Would we expose our children to a venomous snake? But because we all have this evil streak in us, We are in the path of this beast that is waiting to be freed. The second reason why communication is problematic is because all of us, all of us, we're all different. 
We're all different. Oh, that was Steve Irwin. Forgot to have that one. We're all different. We're all different. Proverbs 30, verse 18 says, Three things are too wonderful for me. This is Solomon writing. Solomon is known as the wisest man who lived on this earth after Jesus. Of course. But notice what he says. Three things are too wonderful for me, for I, for I do not understand. Verse 19. The way of an eagle on the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a woman. Or a man, other version says, how a man loves a woman. Now, the first three have been already explained by science. The flight of an eagle, aerodynamics explains how the eagle flies. How a serpent moves, biology has already explained that to us. How ships on the oceans travel, well, astro astronomy has already taught us how they do it. But notice what Solomon says. The way a man loves a woman, well, family, this fourth one is still a mystery. And we have to remember, family, that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 girlfriends. And even after it, living with a thousand women, he still didn't get it. So still a mystery. I heard the story of this man who was walking on the beach. And as he's walking on the beach, he stumbles upon an object there. So he leans down and, and, and digs out a lamp, one of those Aladdin-looking lamps. And as he digs it out, he cleans it out. And as he's rubbing it, guess what? A genie comes out. And as the genie comes out, the genie asks the things that any genie asked, except it was different. Remember, this is a story. It's not a doctrinal thing. Okay, now you hear this. Except this genie said, you know what? All the genies give you three wishes. I'm only going to give you one. So think about it very carefully. So this man is saying, look, I'm here on the beach. I love the beach. And I always wanted to go to Hawaii. But see, I'm afraid of flight, and I'm so scared of ships on the ocean. Is there a way you can build me a highway from here to Hawaii? The genie looks at the man and says, look, you know what that implies? The amount of concrete, the distance, the pillars down the ocean. No, 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 no. Think of something else. So this man is thinking and thinking and thinking, and he says, you know what? I got it. I got it. I know what I want. I'd like you to teach me how to understand women. The genie looks at the man and says, okay, how many lanes do you want? Three or four on that highway? Now, before you get all upset and start writing emails to me, let me tell you. The problem is that men and women, we are completely different. Our brains are wired differently. And let me explain it to you like this. Every baby at the moment of con con um, conception is identical. Except those who are going to be boys by the 10th week of conception, 
their brains receive a shower of a chemical called testosterone. Our brains are divided in two hemispheres, two parts. And you've seen those pictures, right? So there are connectors, ele electrical connectors between both sides of the brain. When testosterone comes to those boys, the connectors between both sides of the brain get severed. No, we are not dumb. <laughs> we just don't have the ability that women have to communicate with both sides of the brain at the same time. Now, these connectors, if there were any that was remaining after the, the 10th week, when the boys turn 12, 13, 14, another shower, even greater of testosterone, comes into the brain. We call that period puberty. So if there was any connectors remaining, now they're completely gone. So now the brain of women of women is completely different than the brains of men because, see, women have the ability to communicate in ways that men just can't understand. We men can only focus on one thing at a time. We could do many things, but only one at a time. See, I'm driving our vehicle. We're going home. We're on the freeway. I've exited the freeway on the same exit a thousand times. But if I'm having a meaningful conversation with Paola, I miss the exit. Has that happened to you? It's right here. It's right here. I got it. I got it. I got it. But see, women have the ability to be cooking on the phone and taking care of the babies all at the same time. Now, this affects communication further because... Both sides of the brain in females is connected. So they have this ability to carry conversations with themselves. We call that crosstalk. And this is the interesting part. Because they have that conversation in their brain, and you walk in the room, they tell you where they are in the conversation, not what the conversation is about. And you walk in the room using, using just one side of the brain, and you're like, ah. Uh. And because you are afraid to ask, what are you talking about? All you say is, uh-huh. Three days later, a week later, she says, remember when I told you this? And you're like, what? <laughs> now, our differences, our differences are very interesting. Let me show you some of them. In communication, in communication, women are primarily users of words when men use noises. There was a study done with, with young boys and girls between three and seven years of age, and they put them in different rooms, and they put hidden microphones. In the rooms, there were, there, there were all kinds of toys, and they had identical toys in both rooms. At the end of the story, study, they realized that kids, that boys and girls, were completely different. See, girls grabbed toys that had faces on them. And when they grabbed faces, they begin to have conversations. Have you ever asked why your daughter spoke faster than your boy? You see, because girls tend to be more verbal than boys. In fact, they discovered that the communication that these girls had was 75% words. Like, hey, how you doing? You know, kind of thing. When they, when they turn on the microphone in the boys' room, they discover that 
90% of their conversation, of their communication, of the, the things that they were saying were noises like, and the only words that came out of that room, the only words that came out of that room were, I'll be back. <laughs> so so, so uh, girls, girls use words primarily and boys use noises. That's why, that's why, sister, when, you, when your husband is watching the game on Sunday and you tell him to take the trash, make sure that he's looking at you. If he's looking at the TV, all he's going to say is, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Do you take the trash out at the end of the game? What trash? Now, another difference in communication that we have between men and women is that, that, that women are people-oriented and men are things-oriented. In the same study, they gave girls and boys crayons and paper draw. And the girls drew faces, drew families, drew people. Boys drew balls, cars, weapons. And I guess the saying that the difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. But this is what happens. You see, in conversation, you put 10 women in one room and 10 men in another room, and you see that for 20 minutes of a 30-minute study, 20 minutes, the men don't talk at all. Until somebody asked, what do you do for a living? What car do you drive? Because still, we talk as men about things. But you put those women in the, in the room, in the first 30 seconds, they already have a conversation about their family, their children, their daughter, their dog. And in the first 10 minutes, there's tears, run, tears running down their cheeks because they already opened up about life and people and relationships. And they use words to communicate while guys go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Another difference in communication between men and women is that women use 20,000 words a day. They need to use 20,000 words a day, while men only need to use 7,000. See, if you have a job like mine, when you speak all day, when you get home, you are talked out. And if your wife speaks double the amount of words that you speak at work... When you get home, she still has about 7,000 words left. So when you're in bed, all tired, all talked out, all you want to know is what's the color and the inside of your eyelids. And she says, honey, let's talk. You're like, ah, I'm done. So we're different in the way we communicate. We're different in how we see life. We're different in, in the amount of words that we need to use. I guess that it was a man who invented texting. <laughs> just saying. Um, and probably the GIFs, even better. Just put a picture. Another difference that we have in communicating between men and women is that women are detail-oriented and men are bottom-line-oriented. A while ago, uh, before we had children, we were... Uh, about to go to a wedding that we were invited. So my dad and I went to a store to buy stuff for the wedding. And my wife and my mom went to a store, I hope, a mall, to buy stuff for the wedding. 
my dad and I got to the store. In 20 minutes, we were done. We went back home. It was a Sunday. We watched a, a game on TV and have another one. And finally, my mom and my wife came home. And I had the bright decision to ask, how was it? I got a play-by-play -play of everything that happened in the store, who they saw, what they met, what they tried on, what the store people said. And at the end of the whole thing, they didn't buy anything. <laughs> Later, I just realized that all I wanted to know was, how much did you spend? <laughs> because, see, women are... Detail-oriented, all we want to know is how much. So now you see how communication gets complicated. How difficult it is to communicate at home. Another thing that happens is that women are sharing and men are solution finders. Let me tell you a secret, man. When she comes and shares with you a situation that is happening, she is not coming to you, almighty man, to give her an answer for her troubles. She's coming to you to share whatever she's going through. But see, what happens in our head as men is that when we hear two sentences, we are already thinking on solutions. And we are listening to things, but we don't care anymore. All we want is for the boss to say, oh, this is what you should do. But as she continues to share, all of a sudden we realize that our solution is no longer valid. And now we lost half of the information because we were not paying attention. See, all she wants to do is share with you what's going on in life. And the best thing that you can do is to listen. Just listen. Yes, we will give an opinion and that's okay. But believe me, she's just as bright. In fact, she uses both sides of the brain. But this is what happened. Because of our evil streak. And because we don't understand or we don't want to understand how to communicate with the other, with our partner. Because we're different. Oh, you don't get it. You don't get me. And we don't care how to improve in that communication, we just stop communicating. The first fact, communication is what? Powerful. Second fact, communication is problematic. But the third fact that I want to share with you is that communication is priceless. Proverbs 10, 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Fountain of life or violence? 
fountain of life or violence? I've learned that even when I'm right, or when I think I'm right, the more I yell, the louder I get, the higher the volume does not increase the communication level, in fact, decreases it. Yelling is unnecessary in a relationship. Volume does not equate to sense, to wisdom. Volume, in fact, equates to compensating for the lack of argument. So I'd like to share with you two final ideas. The first one. Avoid words that bruise. What are the words that bruise? The first word that bruises is you. When you start a sentence, you, automatically, you are building a wall of defense around the ears of the other person. Because when you start with you, it's an accusatory term. You. The second word that bruises is always. And this close cousin, never. You always, you never. But the truth is when we say you always or you never, we're already lying because it's not a constant thing. You always, that's a lie. You never, that's a lie. When we use those words automatically, we are severing the communication channel. What we're doing is we want to start an argument. We want to start a fight. We want to start violence in the home. So what do we do? This is the second. Use words that uplift. And this is where I change, where I would try to change your paradigm on communication in the house. Since we are not going to use the words you, always, or never together, I'm going to suggest, I'm going to suggest to you to begin your claims, your, your issues with the word I. And there's a reason why. Every time I begin to say something, even if I'm hurt with the word I, because I'm talking about me, I'm going to be nicer. And if the next thing that I share is my feelings, how I'm feeling, the conversation turns from an argument to a moment of openness. Now, guys, let me tell you, this is so amazingly true. I've tested it in my house. If I begin, you know, I feel, and you choose whatever feeling you feel, when this happens, not when you do it, when this happens, I wish we could do this instead. Guess what you're doing when you use that? In fact, psychologists call that I statements. When you open your, about your feelings, guys, you know what happens when you share your feelings? You know what you're telling your wife? I'm speaking your language. 
Let's talk. And see, sisters, when you start with you, remember, he wants to win. But when you start with I, when you start talking about yourself, and then you say we, now, for some reason, in his brain, he is going to be part of the conversation. It's not your idea. It's both having the idea. So the next time that you have trouble in your house, remember, don't use words that bruise. Use words that uplift. In 2006, the Harker International, which is an institution that takes doctors and nurses across the, the globe to, to, to help in countries that need help in the medical field, took Dr. Samuel Weinstein to El Salvador. And in El Salvador, he was about to operate on this young man, Francisco Calderon Antonio Fernandez. Francisco needed a, a surgery in his heart. He needed a valve replaced. But what they discover through the operation is that the boy, being eight years of age, needed a transfusion. Unfortunately, he was a B-negative blood type. And if you know a little bit about that, it is a very rare type of blood. What happened was that Dr. Samuel Weinstein is also a B-negative. So in the middle of the operation, Dr. Samuel decided that he needed to donate his blood for the boy. So having the medical team around, they said, well, you know what? Uh, doctors have donated blood for patients, but not in the middle of their surgeries. And they realized that it was the only option they had. So Dr. Samuel was placed on a chair, and the personnel around him drew the blood from his arm. Twenty minutes later, the blood was infused into the boy. Well, the story says this is happening while the doctor is eating orange juice and a Pop-Tart. A few minutes later, the doctor is performing the surgery and he was successful. I do believe that in, in some of our homes, we need a strong transfusion. A strong transfusion of the blood, of the blood that is the rarest type of all, the blood of Jesus. But it's so rare However, it's so readily available. And the beautiful thing is that he's not only willing to give his blood for us, but he's also willing to do the operation. Because he is a fountain of life. He is the giver of life. He is the one that transforms and he is the one who reforms. He is the one that helps. He is the one that lives. And he is the one that gives and changes. 
So even if our hearts are hard and broken, He can soften it and mend it. Because what He wants is not for us to be right, it's for us to be healed. And in the home where Jesus is, there is always healing. He came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. That means that He wants us to be in heaven with Him and live with etern in eternity with Him, but He wants us to experience heaven in our homes today. And everything begins when we open the channel of communication with God and with each other. Because as we have the blood of Jesus flowing through our veins, our hearts will speak of the experience of the Lamb working in us and through us. May the words that we share today be words that uplift. Not only uplift those people around us, but uplift Jesus Christ as we share with others. In the most common conversations that we can experience, we show who we truly are. And family, we are the children of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you made us so different. We are so thankful that you gave us the ability to communicate. But we are so thankful that we are not alone in this evil world. Because we have Jesus. And Father, today we not only want to pray for the communication in our families and in our church today. Because that is the topic that we learned today. But our hearts are also heavy for all those who are suffering across the country. For all those who are suffering in the Caribbean. For, for all those who are suffering in the south of Mexico. For all those who are suffering around the world because of evilness. Because of nature. Because of social injustice. Because of pride. But Father, we can't do anything for anybody unless Jesus begins to work in us today. Help us to be the people that you made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.